0: 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, man, this really has been kind of a neat day, isn't it? I mean, the rain and kind of on and off and coming and going and, you know, and there there are some of us that get to enjoy a day like this a whole lot better than even others. As I found out coming in, somebody was coming in, I was heading out and they said, yeah, the only problem with a day like this is it's really hard to do anything with my hair. No problem here. <laughs> First John chapter 4. We pick up our study again here as we continue to look through this amazing letter that, that John writes. And i got to tell you, a couple of weeks ago when I started looking forward to, to John 4 and thinking through, okay, when we get here, Lord, where are you going to take us? And, and where are we going to focus? Where are we going to emphasize? I, after reading through it, you know, that time focusing on that aspect of it, i got to tell you, this week... He went a whole different direction with me, and, and i just I just so blessed. The things that I thought, well, we'll just touch on those and focus over here. Well, not so much. And I just, I just love studying God's Word and sharing with you. So let's begin our study tonight. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many, many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming, and now it is already in the world. Can I... John's heart just pours right out in the very first word that we see here again, beloved, that Greek word that we've talked to a few times, agapetos, it means those who are loved. And not only loved by John, obviously John's love for the, the people pours out in this letter over and over, but those that are loved by God, those that are loved by their creator, those that are loved by their savior. And he says, beloved, those loved by God God loves you so much, he wants you to have this perfect, intimate relationship. Remember, we've talked about that from the very beginning. This peace, this amazing peace that we can have, the joy that we can have. And he's he's so cautious about telling them, be careful, be careful, be cautious. Don't assume, he's telling us here, that every spiritual experience that every demonstration of spiritual power is from God. We have to be very careful of that. We have to have our attention up like that. Don't just follow blindly because something sounds spiritual or something looks powerful. And in that day, there was certainly different aspects that could be focused on, but in our day, I could hear John. If John were here today, he would be saying, guys, just because it's on Christian radio... Just because it's on Christian television, don't just follow blindly whatever is said there. Just because they say the name of Jesus, don't just say, oh, you must be just like me, and listen to whatever they have to say. That's being tossed around and being pulled around by winds of doctrine. And Paul warns us about that and tells us because of who we are, We shouldn't be this way anymore. We shouldn't be pulled and tugged and pushed around. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. He says, as a result, as a result of the work that's been done in us, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness in deceitful scheming. We can't be tossed about. We have to be cautious. And John gives us a very simple test here that we are to hold things that we hear up to, things that we read up to. If it is from God... It will confess, here is what it says, and that word again, confess. We've talked about it when we've studied 1 John 1, 9, when we confess our sins. That means that we agree with, we say the same thing as. So when we confess, we agree with, not just with our words, but with our heart, with our actions. We confess and we agree that that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is what it says here in verse 2. And in this, John was directing a very specific and and an attack on the church at the time from a group of people called the Gnostics, and they were attacking something very different than what we face today. They were attacking the humanity of Jesus. They weren't denying the deity of Jesus, they were denying the humanity of Jesus, that he didn't really come in the flesh because they taught that all flesh was evil, so God couldn't, couldn't be in flesh, so that couldn't be possible, so they were denying that. They were changing that. So John's focus, as you can read that in here, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, denying his humanity. But we can't do that. We can't do that. Jesus, as we'll talk in a moment, it's vitally important that we understand and embrace the truth that God himself, Jesus, stepped out of heaven and became a man. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, Paul says this. For there is one man and one mediator also between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. That was what John's day, that's what they were facing then, an attack on the church, an attack on the truth coming that, yes, okay, God is God, but he can't be flesh. Jesus can't be truly man. Well, we face much different today. We face the attack on the deity of Jesus. Many will say, a lot of people will come to your door and say, hey, we believe in Jesus. And, and, it's, and it's not really all that different than what you believe. And they'll twist it and they'll change But they deny the deity of Jesus, that he's not truly God. And that we, we, we can't do that either. Jesus is fully God and fully man. And even though we can't wrap our minds completely around that amazing truth, we can't drift from that at all. Colossians 2.9, Paul tells us, For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So John is telling us here that we must confess, we must agree with, we must stand in agreement with the fact that Jesus is fully God and fully man his deity, and his humanity are vital for our salvation. Both elements of that. He had to become one of us and live a perfect life in order to exchange that life for ours. John tells us in the gospel that he wrote in John chapter 1, the first three verses, speak directly of. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He tells us that everything that was created was created by him and through him. Nothing was created that he didn't create. God himself. But also in the first chapter, down in verse 14, it tells us that the Word, again, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. Both of those vital. Philippians 2.8 then tells us that he humbled himself, even to the point of death on the cross. He rose again from the dead, defeating death, as we sang of just a moment ago. And the King of kings, the Lord of lords, all of this is wrapped up into this simple little statement that John is making in verse 2. All of this, and we must agree with this, And we, this is the, because this is the identifier. This will separate this. This will show us this test from God. Spirits will the the spirit from God will will manifest itself in this and we will see it that way. Not from God denies that, comes against that truth. Now we can we the the test is a simple one, but identifying it sometimes isn't always so. The enemy, we look at this and, and the Bible describes Satan as a liar, as a murderer. As a lion, and we picture this lion with razor-sharp teeth, prowling around looking for someone to devour. But do you know how how Satan, our enemy, is first described in the Bible? Turn with me back to Genesis chapter 3. It's important that we understand this because our enemy would love us to think of him only as this menacing, blood-dripping-from-his-fangs lion that is out there. Genesis chapter 3, our first introduction to our enemy, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field which the Lord had made. Crafty. That word means subtle. It means shrewd. It means sly, not scary. When 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 we picture this in the garden, we picture this Eve, she's in the garden, and this serpent, this snake, and we're wondering... What kind of woman would walk up to a snake and be excited about that? I mean, I, no way. I, I see a snake in a tree. I'm going to another tree. But there was something about this. There was, no, there was no, nothing scary about this. If anything, it was something that drew her there. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden God has said you shall not eat of it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. We see here this crafty enemy. First, what he does is he twists the word of God. He questions what God really said. Verse one, did God really say that? Is that what God really said? And okay, Maybe that's what the wording is, but did he really mean that? And you know, and he said that, you know, a couple weeks ago, you know, the times are different today. You know, twisting it around. Th- then he outright denies it. You'll not die. He t- <laughs> really, really. Trust me. You're not really going to die if you do that. I mean, he's exaggerating because he really he really wants to have control over you. Ultimately, His whole goal is to change our view of God, to to make him more restrictive, less loving. Ultimately, that's where he gets. God's holding out on you, Eve. He knows that if you eat of this fruit, you're gonna be like him. You're gonna understand like him, and he's holding out on you. He doesn't want that. He distorts. He, He does this in order to deceive, and ultimately, so that we... Will disobey. We will walk away. We will follow him. Verse two tells us that Eve engages in a conversation with Satan. Always, 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 bad idea. Okay. When John tells us to test the spirits in our text here, it's not an oral exam. Okay, it's not a, it's not an exchange. So many have been led astray, and those that have been led astray have led multitudes of others astray because they engaged in conversations with evil spirits. I have no doubt in my mind personally that Joseph Smith talked with an angel. I have no doubt about that. But it certainly was not an angel from God. It was was an angel right out of the pit of hell, Moroni, I mean, well, first of all, Moroni is just moron with an I. So if you're going to listen to anything from there, but again, it, sound, it, it sounds simple at, at first, and it sounds so subtle at first, and we're going to just change things a little bit. Don't. It's not, again, engaging in conversations. It's testing, and it's testing, does it hold up to the truth? After engaging in this conversation, Eve then changes the word of God herself she looks look back at our our text here she says when she says now she's engaging in in this conversation she says from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat the first thing that she does is she omits something from the word of God she she takes something of the word of God out look back to chapter 2 verse 16 The Lord God commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. She admits freely when she says this, making God a little bit more restricting. Not a big thing. I mean, if we were to look at those two next to each other, is that a huge thing? Well, maybe not when we look at the words, but what it's suggesting sure is, because she's starting to listen to the enemy now, and you're right, he is a little bit more restricting. And next... Verse, verse 3, she says, you shall not eat of it or touch it. God didn't say you couldn't touch it. He said don't eat it. And so she's adding something to the word of God. And the enemy really doesn't care either way. Omitting, adding to it, changing it. If you want to become more legalistic, he's totally fine with that. If you want to become, feel like you have total license to do whatever you want, he's totally cool with that. Just don't, don't follow the truth. Add, subtract, whatever you want to do. He doesn't care if you believe in God just as long as you don't believe in Almighty God. He doesn't care if you believe in Jesus. He just doesn't want you following the Jesus that saves you. One other thing in chapter three, and you can go through this on your own, but notice that throughout as Moses records this, he refers to God as the Lord God. The Lord God. Satan refers to him as God, taking away his holiness and disrupting it there. Guys, bottom line, this is a battle, again, for our mind. The enemy wants to do whatever he can do to get us to doubt, to get us to add, to take away from God's word. 2 Corinthians eleven three. Paul writing to the church in Corinth, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Romans 12, 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Guys, I'm making a deal out of this because we as a church, we as individuals who love God's word and read God's word and study God's word have a huge responsibility in our day and age because there are forces at work, and I gotta be, I'm just gonna say it, and you guys, I hope you know my heart by now. There are things going on in our times right now that seem so good on the surface and I'm not saying that all of, it, all of it is bad. I'm just saying we have to be cautious. We have to, we have to hold, up, hold it up to the truth. There's some movies coming out. One of them, I don't know if it, came, if it came out already for this last Friday or coming up Friday, The Son of God. I haven't seen it, so I'm not judging this movie. I haven't seen it. The other one that's coming out is Noah, and I've seen enough of the trailers of that one that it frightens me. But whenever Hollywood gets a hold of the Word of God, they add to it, they take away from it, they twist it, and they distort it. And many people look at it and say, well, yeah, but it's still a good thing. It's still a good thing because it gets people questioning and wondering about God. And that maybe is a good thing as long as we're doing our job. Because, guys, i got to be honest with you, I don't care what Hollywood does with the movie, the book is better. And it's up to us then to know the truth so that when the people we're working with say, hey, did you happen to see that movie or or whatever? And and man, I, I thought that there's inc-. we have the truth. We can't be sucked in and, and drawn away because many will be. I'm not saying don't go see the movies. As a matter of fact, I would even encourage you to so that you know what to what to what what might be there that we can that we then can combat with the truth. And I pray, I do, I pray that this Son of God movie, I've heard it on, again, a lot of discussion going on. I pray that it is following the biblical truth of God's word because it can do an amazing, it can do a powerful thing then. Well, enough there. I've already gone way longer than I wanted to on that point. But verse four, we are told to be cautious. But verse four says, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We're told to be cautious and to test these spirits, but we're not to be afraid of them because of the spirit that is within us. What spirit? Back to chapter 3, verse 24. He abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us, the Holy Spirit that is in within us as believers. We're not to be fearful of this. We're to be cautious we're to hold up these, these things that we see and hear to the Word of God and, and compare them. And if they are of God, to embrace them. If they are not of God, to reject them. This is an amazing source, resource that we have within us, the Holy Spirit. We have ultimate victory because, I love this, have overcome them. That victory was done on the cross. When Jesus rose from the, get, the dead, we have that victory. Again, as we sang earlier, that it, Ultimate victory is assured, but we also, in the individual battles, victory is always possible for us if we rely on the Holy Spirit that is within us. And by the way, the Holy Spirit, and this is an important thing that we, that we understand and embrace this, the Holy Spirit, notice it says he, not it, the Holy Spirit is God in us, the God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the triune God, three in one. God in us. Holy Spirit power. This is something that, again, as, as maturing and growing Christians, we embrace and we understand, but it is so important that we share this with our children as well, that, that they understand this from an early age. And I gotta, I gotta say, Daniel... God bless you this morning. If you were here for the men's breakfast, you were challenged about us as parents, the way we are to disciple our children. And if you didn't, I hope we recorded it, and if we didn't, I know the slu- that, the, the, there were notes that, were, that are printed off. Guys, we need to be discipling our children. And one of the things that they need to understand is the power that is within us as Christians, because it, again, is a scary world out there. And we can fit this beautiful picture of the power that is within us in the Holy Spirit in our teaching. How one of my favorite Bible stories? Can't, you'd never outgrow the story of David and Goliath, do you? I mean, here's this here's this young man who goes in battle, this shepherd who goes in battles and slays the giant. It's a, it recorded First Samuel chapter seventeen, and you think, man, how could how could somebody like that? Go up into that situation when nobody else in the whole army would dare to even step out and say, hey, I'll give it a shot. Nobody else would. What's the difference between David and every other man in the army of Israel? 1 Kings 16, 13 says, the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. In just a few verses, he's facing Goliath. The spirit of the Lord. I love studying through again in, in the stories, John. Here's John, this amazing man who went through all of this this life experiences he's pouring out for us here, the apostles. It tells us that, that after Jesus was crucified, he he they're they're locked up in a room. They're scared to death. It tells us in John 20, 19, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Here's the ones that have spent time with Jesus, years with Jesus, and now they're all worried what they're gonna do. They got the doors locked because they're afraid of what's out there. They're afraid of the forces that they would face. Acts chapter four, verse 13 says, as the Jews, the ones that they were fearing a few chapters earlier, the Jews observed the confidence that Peter and John had. They were amazed. Now, these very ones that they were afraid of are now looking at them, and they're blown away, and they're amazed. What happened in between? Acts chapter 2, verse 4, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, this this power that is is within us, this resource available to us. And by the way, one of my favorite sayings a friend of mine used to say all the time, one spirit, same spirit. There's one Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that that came upon David, the same Spirit in in the apostles within us. There's no place for fear in us. We have overcome the Holy Spirit within us. Verse 5. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world. Again, now speaking the evil spirits. And the world listens to them. They're from the world. The world listens to them. Massive crowds ganged is not necessarily an indicator of the truth of God's word being taught. It doesn't, it, the, the success of a church is not based on the size of the church. It's also, by the way, though, it's not doesn't mean just because a church is, is very big that it's not teaching the Word of God. There are very many great examples of that. But it's not an indicator. that's not the sole source of the truth with that. Verse 6, we are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This verse six here, by this we know, the this that's spoken here says, he who knows God listens to us. Many religious organizations and cults use this verse to say that we are from God, listen to us, and they'll point right to here. Guys, bottom line, period. John is speaking here, and he's saying, when he's speaking of us, he's speaking of the apostles, capital A, those that were sent out specifically, personally by Jesus. We talked about this back in chapter 1, if you'll remember. Verse 1, he says, What was from the beginning that we have heard what we have seen with our eyes and we have looked on and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. John, again, pointing that we, the apostles, though we were there. We saw this. That word. Verse 14 in our text, looking ahead real quickly, again, you can see he's still speaking in that we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. That is who the we are in this. And the this is God's word then, what they have said, what God has, what God has inspired that has been recorded and protected. God's word. That is the, the this that is talked about. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Again, pointing back to God's word. Anything that rejects it, distorts it, changes, adds to it, subtracts from it is the spirit of error, the spirit of the Antichrist. If someone says to you, if somebody walks up to you and hands you a little pamphlet or knocks on your door and says, you know, you can't trust in the Bible alone. You have to, you have, to have this to help you interpret this. And you can't possibly understand or follow it without these special insights or anything. Run. Leave skid marks. <laughs> because it's the spirit of error. Verse 7, beloved... Let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God for God is love. Again a call to love Paul, John continually comes back around to this. Uh, beloved, let us love. That again agape he uses that but again right after that is agapa o which means basically those who are loved let us love. The love that we have gotten, we need to share. It's again, not to earn God's love, but because we have it, we love one another. Love is from God. Those who are born of God and know God simply love. It's, it's natural, as we talked about last week, and he continually comes around in his word, but again, he very pointly blank says it again. Those who don't, don't know him. Verse nine, by this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. Paul in Galatians chapter two, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Verse 10, and in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God shows us what love is and what love means. The love of the the Father. This is so often overlooked in the whole gospel story. The love of the Father. His sacrifice. Remember, when he spoke of Jesus in the hearing of the disciples, this is my beloved Son. The the sacrifice of the, the Father. This beloved Son... He poured out his wrath upon, the wrath that you and I deserved. He poured out on his son. It struck me earlier as I was praying, and, and sometimes God, God will do this to me right afterwards. I got all my notes all done. I got everything all set. I put my Bible away, and I'm just praying right before, and he just lays something real heavy. I'm like, oh God, it's kind of late to put that in now. But it, I just was overwhelmed with this feeling And it was, it was a real heaviness. Michael Rodriguez walked into my office right during that. I said, dude, I gotta... I mean, I was almost having a hard time breathing because it just became so personal to me that we so often look at, when we talk of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, and not to take one piece away from that, please hear me, but we often overlook the sacrifice of the Father. We look at what Jesus went through on the cross, and And the separation that happened, we talk about that, that that for the first and only time in all of eternity, past and future, there was this separation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we look at it from Jesus' side, from the separation, but the Father also had that separation. That that perfect thing, that was broken too. And both of them went through that for us. And the heaviness on my heart was with my son. I start thinking, oh, if, could I do that? Could I, could I give up my beloved son for my enemy? Could I allow what happened to Jesus to happen to my son? And I, oh. And then all of a sudden my heart is breaking for the father because my heart is breaking just even thinking about it. His sacrifice, the love of the Father, sending his only begotten Son into the world. The love of the Son. Jesus willingly took this. He knew, he knew what what was going to happen. He knew from eternity past what was going to happen. Again, the love for us, and he said, I'll do it. The propitiation, the substitutional sacrifice, satisfactory sacrifice, the, the payment for our sins that he took. Again, as we, as we just sit in this and we, and we just embrace this for a moment, verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Can anyone argue with that? Seriously. Can we, can we argue with that? And if we can't, all of the petty things that divide us, all of the things, you know, the insults that we feel and the way we've been wronged, and even if it happens repeatedly, how, how can we hold on? Well, we talked enough about that last week, but it just keeps coming around. <laughs> Verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Perfected, that word, Greek word teleo oh kind of cool tellio not perfect we've talked about this before as we come not perfect but complete mature what he's saying here is that our sanctification, our growing process as we grow in the understanding and application of this in, the, in, the, in our lives, in our walks with the Lord, isn't going to be marked with certain power and, and popularity or, or, or passion, passionate feelings or anything like that. It's going to be marked by love, our growing love. In verse 13 he says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know that we have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this we know, again, this gnosko this experiential knowledge and talking again about abiding us in God God in, God in us and 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 you think John thinks this is important I do he talks about it a lot he keeps reinforcing this verse 17 by this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because he As he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. By this, this building that he's he's talking about. Notice he says, by this, by this, by this, by this, as he's going through this, he's explaining, he's giving us the building process as it goes through, through here. God is love. And he loves us. And, and we are to love one another. And when that happens, we abide in him and in his love. And he abides in us and us in his love. And it just keeps growing and building. And he says, by this, love is perfected with us. Now, this is one of those really cool things that I would, I, I just, I stumbled across and I double-checked it and, and to make sure, and th- this to understand what he said, this perfected. We just talked about it back in the last word, teleo right? Well, this word here is teleo-o, tele-o-o. <laughs> He uses it twice, back to back, and what he's meaning there is completely complete. As this process continues through, and we, and we see this, it's made completely complete so that we can have confidence in the day of judgment. In the day of judgment, we all, we all will stand before God someday. We all. And, and we see it, it, what he's talking about here, the completeness of love's work in us will at that time be demonstrated fully. Guys, we all know right now that we're sinners, right? But in the day of judgment, we're really going to know that we're sinners. We all know that there is we are not better than those that have not received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We're no better than they are. We know that now, but in the day of judgment we will really know that. We all know that there that hell exists, but in the day of judgment we will really know that hell exists. But we know the greatness of salvation through Jesus Christ. But in the day of judgment, we will really know, because we will be able to have confidence in that day, that day of judgment, where where those who have not received Jesus as their Lord and Savior are sent away to, to hell, eternal wrath of God forever, and we are ushered into heaven in the faced with the love of God around us forever, then it will be really known to us. And it doesn't say that we just survive the day of judgment. We have confidence in the day of judgment. Why? Because there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. That perfect love that was demonstrated on the cross takes all of our fear away not again what because of what we have done or because of who we are but because of who he is and what he did on our behalf that's how we can have this confidence huh. there's no fear in love now we are called to have fear of the lord right of course we are but that's not speaking that's not what john's speaking of here that's a reverent fear and awe of of a holy and righteous God. The fear that John is talking about here is the cowering, tormenting fear. And again, we don't have that because Jesus took our wrath. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 4, it says, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being or our peace fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all To fall on him. He took the punishment completely for us. That, again, is love perfectly. And verse 19 says, We love because he first loved us. I'd I'd like to give everybody a little homework assignment this week. And it's going to take a little time. It's not something you can do in five minutes, I promise you. You might think so, but if you really allow God to do the work in you, it's not, it's going to, you're going to need to take a little of your quiet devotion time. And I'm going to just say give it an hour. Set aside an hour, just you and the Lord, and take these six words. We love because he first loved us. And write who, what, where, when, why, and how on a piece of paper. Because it all summed up right here. And, and pray through that. Leave room for the Lord to work and answer those questions knowing what we've studied in John, in the book of 1 John. We love now because he first loved us. I think it'll change a lot of us if we do this. Understanding again, because he first loved us, we love. Verse 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment, not suggestion, commandment, we have from him. The one who loves God should also love love his brother and again it's pretty hard to argue that. Well as we close tonight I'd like to just let's let's go before the Lord in prayer if you would bow your heads with me in prayer and I would like to ask though before we do that before we we pray as as we are all preparing our hearts to pray and to close out our our evening together I would like to ask you if there's anybody here this evening, as we've been talking through this, especially this latter part, and you feel in your heart and in the Lord working this, that you, you don't have that confidence. If, if you were, if you were to, to die this evening and stand before God, do you have confidence that you would spend eternity with him in heaven, or do you doubt do you, do you struggle right now with that? Is that something that, that causes you concern? Because if it is, that, that means that you are still relying on something other than the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So I would like to ask as we now prepare our, our hearts here, and, and those of you who have done that, please be praying, but if that is you, would you slip your hand in the air and say, I would like to have that confidence. I want to know that if, if that moment happened to me today, that I would be in the presence of the Lord and facing his love forever. And it's simply a matter of responding to the, the Holy Spirit moving in your heart right now. If that is you, would you just slip your hand in the air? I'd like to, to pray with you. Anyone at all that says, that's me and I want to know. Well, praise God that we are in a room full then of of those who stand in confidence based on that completed work of, of our Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your incredible love. The love that would send your beloved son as a sacrifice for us that you would be willing to pour out your wrath that is due us upon him so that we could be with you forever. And Lord Jesus, we, we praise you that you willingly took that for us, that you are our propitiation. Lord, we thank you. And again, We ask that because of that perfect love that you displayed toward us, that we truly would love one another, that the world would know we belong to you by the way they see us loving one another, that it's real, that it's authentic, that it's not hypocritical, and that it honors you. And Lord, we do pray that your spirit would give us discernment in the time that we live, that we would be able to see the the, the false teaching, the false prophets, the the deception. Even even those, Lord, those things that are just changed and twisted slightly. Lord, use us to bring clarity to the world around us. Those that are seeking, those that are that are questioning. Lord, use us in that. Protect us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit in us. Lord, let us rely on the power of your Spirit in us. Lord, we thank you and praise you for who you are and all that you do for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.